If you brought your Bibles, you can turn to our passage this morning in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 in the Gospel of Luke. This fourth Sunday of Advent, we've been in a series looking at different songs of Advent. And today we look at maybe the most familiar song uh, as we look at this gospel account in Luke chapter 2. The text is there in your bulletin as well, and you can uh, find that as I read God's Word. Listen as I read God's Word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this story of the Son of God being born and being born is not merely just a good story, but it is the very picture of your plan of redemption coming to fulfillment. Your purpose, your mission, your intention being fulfilled before our very eyes. May we not just enjoy the story and place it aside until next December, but may we understand all of the implications for you coming to be with us, living and giving your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many of us, I'm sure many of you, have special things you remember from your childhood about this particular season, about Christmas and the things maybe you did in your family or your extended family and, and different, every, different, uh, every person probably has a different story or a different tradition maybe in your family or something that reminds you of this season as well. Uh, growing up uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, there was one particular uh, event that happened uh, many of my childhood years and that was we went to the kind of the living nativity story at the Civic Coliseum in downtown Knoxville. Maybe you've been there, you've seen what I'm, what I'm talking about, but it wasn't just people standing there, like you see sometimes live nativities, where they stand there and you kind of walk around and see the live animals and the people standing there with the, the, the manger scene. It was 
the story being told from the scriptures of a narrator who read the story and read the entire account. And as they went along, you had the different characters on the entire floor of the Colosseum and different settings until eventually they came to the end of the story where they were there and the manger scene. And what made this whole event for me very special is because I had behind the scenes stage passes for me. See, my mother was kind of one of the makeup artists that got all the makeup ready for all of the characters. And so I would be back, backstage with all of these live sheep and these camels and all the people and everything, seeing the whole thing from behind the curtain, as it were, and then watching it displayed like everyone who came to watch the living nativity. And it was quite an event for a young child to be part of something like that. But one thing that always happened as the end of the story unfolded was about approximately, I'm not sure, but I would guess 150 to 200 member choir was up on the back side at the end of the Colosseum. Well, I remember a large white gauze-like covering that, kept, that they stood behind and the choir would burst out in song Handel's Messiah. It was an amazing, almost as they were there to be an angelic host proclaiming that the Christ child was born. And it was really quite moving, quite powerful for that many voices to sing out that particular song, as you know how amazing that is. Well, this morning our passage um, shares with us the angels singing. God's Celestial creatures giving voice to the Messiah coming to earth. And I'm sure that Handel's Messiah just barely touches the surface to what God's celestial hosts were proclaiming this very day in Bethlehem. You see, the angels were singing a song. And it was a song that we will see that we all need to hear. All of us, whether we know the Lord today, as you're here in this service, or maybe we don't know Him like we desire or we have come to understand this message, this song of the angels is for all of us. We're going to look at a verse, first of all, of good news that the angels sang, and then we're going to look at a verse of peace, and then lastly, the chorus of favor that the angels sang together. First of all, this verse of good news. What makes the proclamation of this particular angel, it starts out in the beginning, such good news. You see, in verse 10, it wasn't yet a choir of angels, an army. It was simply an angel, a single solo voice, as it were, beginning the song. And this one angel says in verse 10, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So what makes what this angel proclaims in song such good news? Well, verse 10, it was good news because it was for, as the angel said, all the people. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't for a particular just person or a group of people. It was for all the people. You see, that is what Christ came to provide. Salvation for all who would be His own. 
not just one race or one tribe or one ethnicity, but all. All the people. The good news does not discriminate on wealth, race, age. None of these things separate. It was good news, first of all, because it was for all the people that the angel spoke of. But then in verse 11, the angel says, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Personally. Particularly to you. The angel speaks to the shepherds there in a manner that they would understand. You see, it was particular to them even, the shepherds, as they were listening to this angel proclaim an amazing story, an amazing truth. First, they say, the angel says, in a town of David. Now, that meant a lot to a shepherd, the town of David. Why did that mean so much to a shepherd? It meant a great deal to the shepherd since Christ is from the genealogical line of David, the great shepherd. And they could connect with that. David was also a shepherd, and they knew about David. And this Messiah, this Christ child, was going to be born in the town of David. Such a connection. The angel gave that truth to the shepherds. It was good news to them. But also, he says, in the town of David, he will be born to you. It was very personal. It was very intentional. Not just born to anyone, but to you as the angel spoke to the, spoke to the shepherds. The Messiah was born not just to kings or princes or nobility or royalty or rulers that possibly would receive this incredible king, but he was born to you, shepherds. Those who were not known for much other than their simply simple living and livelihood that really wasn't that attractive to many, even in their culture. You see, someone as common and unassuming as a shepherd would receive this child, this Messiah that was born. Born in a very simple and humble way. But the third thing the angel says in this good news verse is, it will be a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now that meant a great deal again to the shepherds. Why? Because born this amazing Messiah, this king, and born and laying in a simple manger, a trough for animals. Um, how can that be? It was communicated that this birth would be quite humble. And in fact, in very low estate. Not what one would expect for such a Messiah. In almost all their earthly relationships, you realize shepherds were never on top. They were always on the bottom. And so for this angel to communicate to the shepherds that this Messiah was going to come where you are. Lowly, humble, of really no means. That meant a great deal to the shepherds. Shepherds were never looked up to by anyone, really. They were always the ones who looked up to others in their positions in society and in their day. In fact, shepherds were somewhat even discarded at times from the mainstream of their own life in society that they lived and not given very much value. But most importantly, the angel's song, verse of good news, was good because it proclaimed Christ as 
Savior. Now, as we've said, shepherds were considered lowly, and they were definitely not looked up to by hardly anyone in their day. But also, their job itself, a shepherd's daily task, and what they spent their time and their life investing and giving themselves to, was also considered ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially unclean, even to many in the religious community. So for the Messiah to come to those who were not clean says a lot about who Jesus came to. Those who knew that they were considered unclean. And see, that is what the gospel tells us. That Christ has come to those who are unclean. Who know that we are unclean. And there's no way for us to clean ourselves up in our own strength, and our own provision, it must be that Christ has come to us in our uncleanliness, in our position of lowliness, incapable of doing anything ourselves, and He provides that cleansing. He provides that forgiveness. He provides the very thing that we cannot provide ourselves. And He comes to us that very manner. So the good news of the gospel is just that, that Jesus has come to those who know that we are unclean and unworthy. But then there's the verse of peace that this angel speaks of. After the angel has spoken, then it says, a great company of heavenly hosts, in verse 13, appeared with the angel. Now it's a multitude of heavenly hosts coming and singing and speaking to the shepherds. This verse that, first of all, the angels as a multitude sing about is a verse of peace. Verse 14, And they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. Peace to men. Peace to men. You know, right now, in our particular uh, month of December, in the past several days, for many in our nation, it's been anything but peaceful. Everything from the fiscal cliff looming on January 1st for many looking at their economic situation to the tragedy that happened in Newtown, Connecticut, and the great loss there. There has been, just in the past days, things that give us reason to feel very unrestful, not at peace with the world we live in, with situations even possibly having fear grip our hearts considering what may or might may not be in the future. And so many, if not all of us, need to understand that Jesus has come and He gives peace to us. Not just peace that we feel good about our world and where we live. Peace that we're finally calmed down and things are all right in our life, but He gives peace, most importantly, between us and the Father. Peace between us and God Himself. You see, the Scripture's testimony tells us that before we knew Him, before we knew Jesus, before He came to us and pursued us, we were not at peace with God. In fact, we were the opposite. We were enemies of God, Scripture tells us. To be an enemy of God is a lot more than being 
at peace. A lot different. In fact, it's not a neutral territory that we can live in. There is no neutral territory to live in your life when it comes to a relationship with the living God. It's not a matter of, well, I'm not really that religious or I'm not really that uh, into God or Jesus or any of those things or I really don't get into church much. No. Neutrality is not a place that God allows for anyone that He has given life to and created in this world to be. We are either enemies of God or we are His. We are completely against Him or we are completely for Him and with Him. There is no middle ground. And so we must assess, and let me encourage you to assess, where are you? Where are you this Sunday? Right before Christmas, where are you spiritually? Are you for God and with Him in a relationship with Him because you have trusted and depended fully on what this Messiah has given you in His life and His death and resurrection? Or are you trying to play neutral? Trying just to get along with everyone in this world and believing that your life will one day end up with God because of the way you've lived it. You see, Scripture speaks about there is no one who lives a life that is worthy. None of us can live a life that God would accept at the end of our days. Instead, we must trust in the one who has provided all that we need what Christ Himself has done for us. So this peace that the angels sing about is a verse that we all need to hear. But you know, the world tries to offer us substitutes for peace. The world often tries to offer you and me, and we seek after many substitutes. Things like wealth, affluence. Sometimes we seek after comfort or success in this world, even sometimes we allow substances to take over our attention, whether it be alcohol or drugs or any other types of things that seek to somewhat numb us from the true pain that we experience or the struggles, the things that we don't want to have to face, whatever it might be. All these things are mere substitutes. Substitutes for real peace. They may provide peace temporarily, just for the moment. They may give us a distraction for a period of time, possibly even an extended period. We might find God's common grace upon us in our life that He blesses mankind with. But we must know that that is still fleeting. The peace that we may experience in our own life is only fleeting. Eternal peace is the only peace that is lasting. God's peace He gives through Christ is the only peace between us and God that is lasting for all eternity. And that's the peace the angels sing about. The problem is that most of us are trying to obtain peace just for the moment, oftentimes just to escape things that we struggle with in this world. But that's not true peace. Do you have peace with God today? It's a simple question. Do you know with assurance in your heart that when I ask the question, do you know you have peace with God today? You don't even hesitate. You know you do. And nothing would ever take that away. Is that where you are? 
Or as the question was posed, did you hesitate and wonder, maybe I don't. Maybe I really have never trusted in this Christ child, in this one who lived and died for me. And I need that peace. I need that eternal security of a relationship with God. This is the day to have that peace. This is the time to know for certain that you have peace with God. If you're here this morning and you don't have that peace, simply talking to God from your heart. Receiving, acknowledging first of all your sin and your need for His forgiveness. And then turning from that and trusting in Him. Trusting in what He has done for you on the cross. Not just in the manger, but on the cross and the empty tomb as He rose from the dead. Power over death and life given to you that you receive it freely. And you trust that that is what God has given you for all eternity. Peace is what the angels sing about, but then they also sing of favor. A chorus of favor, in fact. The song moves from that solo of one angel to this multitude singing and lifting their voices to proclaim God's amazing favor for all who are His. Verse 13, it says, this great company of heavenly hosts appeared. You think about, what does that look like? Maybe you've, of course, none of us really know we weren't there, but we've seen people try to depict what it was like. I know from understanding what the Scriptures tell us, it certainly wasn't just a swarm of fluffy, sparkly, winged creatures with harps and fairy dust. It really wasn't like that. Instead, it was more of an army of angelic soldiers with military intentions, in fact. That's what it was like. And they were delivering a vital message of critical importance. That was the heavenly host of angelic creatures that came and proclaimed this amazing song of favor. They said, glory to God in the highest, verse 14. Think about it. The angels who are proclaiming this. Glory to God in the highest. The ones who are saying these, singing these very words. You know, the angels were celestial creatures. They were created by the Father, Son, and the Spirit. God Himself created angelic beings. And so, as best as we understand from Scriptures, angels existed even pre-incarnate, before Christ came as the Christ child. Angels, probably as we understand, even existed before creation. God created celestial beings. So these angels, they'd been around a while with the second person of the Trinity in the heavens. They had seen Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in the heavenly realms. They had seen Him on His throne. In fact, they'd worshipped Him already before. They had lifted up their adoration and praise and worship of the second person of the Trinity. They knew about His glory better than any of us. Isaiah chapter 6 reminds us about this. 
Verses 1 through 3, Isaiah said, In the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, that is angels, seraphim. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Right there you see in the vision of Isaiah, these angels saw the Lord seated on a throne, high already and exalted. These angels also called out to each other, Holy is the Lord Almighty. Glory to God. They saw and they beheld His glory. So they had seen the Christ before He was ever in a manger. And yet they came down to proclaim this amazing truth. The angels also knew, though, of man's sinful condition. The angels knew of the condition of mankind and where they were, that they had turned all the way back to the garden. They knew about the garden, I'm sure. They knew all that had happened from Adam and Eve all the way up to this very moment when this child was to be born of the Virgin Mary. They knew all that history, all the background. Think about these angels. They knew all this. The angels knew they knew what God was doing. For the second person of the triune God to allow Himself to be born in such poverty and in a voluntary position of being deprived must have just caused the angels all across the heavens to stand in amazement at what their Creator was now doing. Had finally acted and had brought to pass. The angels, more than anyone, knew the full extent of what it meant for God to leave His throne and come as a person. They knew more than anyone what that really meant to subject Himself to flesh and to the humiliation of taking on that flesh. No wonder they shouted, Glory to God in the highest! Look what He's done. Look what He's doing. For these who certainly don't deserve it, why and how could He do such a thing? The angels knew more than anyone what God was doing. And then on verse 14, we see, And on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Now, since we have no proof that any angel that we know of in Scripture as it even briefly mentions this subject matter, there's not a lot in all the Scriptures about this matter, but the little bit we can discern, we have no proof that any angel that has ever fallen from celestial harmony with God has ever been restored or redeemed. Ever. Think about it. All we know is that Satan's minions fell, and they're still in that condition. Satan himself is still in that condition. But all the other creatures that have not fallen from harmony with God, they remain in that state. We don't hear or see of any other instance or action of God towards a fallen angel. It is likely that the angels were very amazed at God's amazing, gracious love towards his fallen other creatures. 
created in His image. In fact, in 1 Peter, if you read chapter 1, it says, even angels long to look into these things. What things? Well, the context of that verse is the things of God's redemption. It's the things that God has done for us. Angels, they long to look into what that's about because they never will experience that we know of redemption. Something that we can experience that they never have and probably never will. You know, the only facts in Scripture we have is that when angels turn away from God, there is no salvation. The angels had never experienced the favor of God like the angels were proclaiming man had received from God. This is why the angels are singing this deafening chorus of God's favor seen in His mercy and in His forgiveness. But you know, this is not the first time the angels have seen God pouring out His favor on His creature, mankind, His people. The entire testimony of Scripture, if you read from Genesis all the way through, you see time and time again it speaks about the favor of God upon His people, upon those whom He has called to be His very own. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 4, with Abel, it says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. In the very beginning, God had favor upon Abel. And then moving on into Genesis with Noah, God had favor on Noah and his household. Chapter 6, it says, Noah found favor in, eyes, in the eyes of the Lord. Again, all were brought to their demise except for Noah and his immediate family. They received favor from God. And then Moses in Exodus 33, you have said in chapter 33, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. The words that God found favor with Moses. And of course, David in Psalm 69, God found, gave David favor as he said, but I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. These are just a few myriads of passages that talk about the favor of God for His children, for His people. But here, let me ask you, did Abel, Noah, did Moses, David, did any of them deserve God's favor? No. They didn't deserve God's favor. So, does anyone deserve really God's favor? No. Then why would God grant such favor? Why would He sing this amazing song through His celestial angels of favor? How can that favor rest on anyone who doesn't deserve it? Well, that's what makes the angels' song such amazingly good news. Is that this favor comes on those who absolutely don't deserve such, such favor. The Gospel tells us that none of us deserve God's favor. That those who trust in what Jesus has done in His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, we receive it all by His grace and mercy. His favor was poured out upon us through His Son because He chose to do so. His benevolence has made it so. His kindness and His graciousness has 
given His favor to us. That's the only understanding we have. And we receive it. We're humbled by it. We're thankful for it. The appreciation of all that He has done for us moves, it should move us just like the kings to worship, to adoration, to praise. If you're here today and you're a seeker, if you're here and you never have received this favor, this is the time to receive it. As I even close our time in prayer, this is the moment to receive God's favor. To acknowledge you need His favor. You need His grace. To turn from that which you have been seeking for your own self and to trust in Him. To give your heart to Him. To give your very life to Him. And to accept this free gift of eternal favor. Would you do so? Receive God's favor for you. Let's pray.